The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Please support Unfound at Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. On this episode, I have a lot to say about the Mary Jane Van Gilder press conference. I analyze a disappearance at the Denver airport. I give my best insight on a missing doctor, and I cover a bunch of other stuff, including the disappearance of Johnny Gosh. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for February 12th, 2024. Let's go live. Let's do this. How is everybody doing? It is Unfound Live for February 12th, 2024. Thank you all for tuning in tonight, and I know we'll be getting uh, more people uh, as the night goes on. This is a very weird situation with the Unfound Live show where we have actually more people uh, listening and watching at the end. Then at the beginning, the last half hour, uh, more people are tuning in, which is uh, probably, I would think, the opposite of the way things would normally go. But that's been pretty, pretty uh, consistent for uh, a very long time now. But um, thank you all uh, for being here uh, since uh, the first seconds of the show. And for everybody listening to this as a podcast on Spotify, iTunes, wherever. Thank you uh, for doing so, and uh, you're getting in, I guess, from the beginning in the replay. The reruns, as we used to call them way back in the 1980s. I have a spectacular, stupendous, marvelous show planned for you tonight. I'm going to spend a lot of time, as you would expect. Well, maybe you don't expect it, since maybe you don't know what went on today, but there was a huge, uh, well, huge in importance, I guess. I don't know how many people were there, uh, but there was a, an, a very important press conference today in Shelby, Ohio, regarding the resolution, uh, regarding the resolution of one of Unfound's disappearances. I have a lot, a lot, a lot to say about that, and I'm sure that topic will take up more time than anything else tonight. There's no doubt about that. Um, a lot that we all found out today. And still, there are questions that aren't answered and may never be answered. But I will be getting to that very early on the show because I don't want to tease that too much. Uh, I'm going to get to that uh, very quickly, probably within the next uh, 10 to 15 minutes, I promise. But I also have two more panky letters here. 
<clears throat> that are unopened, and I will open them live on air, and we'll see what he has to say. We'll see if, uh, if I can read them or not, because like I said, they're unopened. I don't know. One of these um, feels pretty thick, so this is certainly more than one page in this one. This feels like just one page, so we'll just have to see what Steve has to say. Um, there are actually a couple, I've been told there are a couple books about disappearances that Unfound is covered that will be coming out there. Both of these disappearances are unsolved. Uh, I may get to that. I'll most likely get to that, uh, before we are done, uh, tonight. And I want to talk about what else do I want to talk about if I can get, uh, to it. Maybe about uh, maybe I can get to this woman who went this young girl I should say who went missing in the Denver airport that kind of gets catches my attention because I've been in the Denver airport how many times three times over the past three years 2021 2022 2023 so I'm pretty familiar with that airport now so I'll some maybe have some things to say about that and just some um, personal items I first need to get to this. Hope all of you will send your condolences out to Heather Grotman. I think most of you know who she is. Um, multiple time guest on Unfound. I think that uh, she's probably number two in appearances on Unfound. I think Anthony, crime blogger, 1983, is still number one. But uh, Heather has been on my mind, actually. Uh, she's about due to... Uh, join us again uh, for a disappearance and uh, she's doing her own podcast now too. So I'm still hoping she'll uh, agree to come on when the time is right, but her mother died today. So I hope that if you can track her down, uh, maybe at her blog, if you get the lost and found blogs.com or her new podcast, or maybe you're friends with her on Facebook Wherever you can reach out to her, I hope you will do so to let her know uh, that we are all uh, thinking about her in her time of need. So her mother died today. She po- I'm not revealing any secret information. She posted it publicly on Facebook, and then I uh, posted something in the, the uh, discussion group so that everybody would know. So if you didn't know that, uh, please, if you could – uh, reach out to her and give her your condolences. Uh, I, I think very highly of Heather, of course, being that she has been appear, has appeared on Unfound multiple times. I think she does good work. And uh, like I said, I hope to have her on uh, sometime soon. Of course, uh, she has much more important things to take care of, I'm, I'm guessing, right now. Um, disc golf, I was supposed to play this weekend. Uh did I, I I did play on Friday very, very poorly. A little bit of the anxiety and the yips came back a little bit on Friday. Maybe I just wasn't into it mentally. Got up Saturday morning, really didn't feel like playing. And so I just withdrew. I went over. My buddy Kevin uh, was the uh, course manager where I was supposed to play on Saturday morning. I just told him, Kevin really don't feel like playing this weekend. So uh, he understood. So I just withdrew. And luckily I was able to get a lot of work done. A lot of unfound work done this weekend, 
which is nice. And I did go out actually and throw today and actually threw decently well. So I don't know. what I really don't know what was going on. I played well over in Orlando. I was hoping to play well on Friday, but once again, this could be something I just wasn't too much into it. Moving on, Super Bowl, watched it, really didn't care who uh, won. I'm not a fan of the Chiefs or the 49ers. Uh, I guess I had reasons to root against each of them. Uh, but I, uh, exciting game if you're into that type of thing. And uh, the Chiefs pulled it out in overtime, 25-22. Went over to my brothers and watched like the first quarter. Then I came back here and there was a party here in my building that I went down and I watched the rest of the game there. Ate way too much. In fact, I have to tell you, got to put myself on a diet. Um, uh, not that I've gotten fat or anything, but I was videotaping a videotape. Look at me. How old am I? I was videoing myself throwing on Saturday after I withdrew. I actually went and practiced a little bit. And because I was feeling that anxiety, I wanted to film myself throwing while feeling it. And I haven't really videoed myself in a while. And so after I video, I was like, Ed, uh, I think you need to lose a few pounds. So I've put myself on a um, a uh, a fasting diet where I I I'm allowed to eat from noon to six, and then I fast for eighteen hours. So six hours in which I can eat, and then eighteen hours where I'm not allowed to eat anything. Of course, I can have water or whatever, anything that's no calories. So like unsweetened iced tea, I could drink that too. Um, but so six. Hours of eating, 18 hours of fasting, and I'm starting that, and I'm probably going to stick to that for a while because I was watching myself on the video. And I'm a very – if you don't know, I'm kind of a vain guy, so that doesn't help. But I'm telling you, though, yesterday um, had a lot of ribs, had a lot of chicken wings. It was uh, it was something, and uh, that I told myself I'm gonna pig out, and that's it. So today, I mean, I had regular food and everything. I can eat whatever I want, but uh, I can't eat again on, for another 15 hours. And I, I really think this is probably what's best for me. So the Super Bowl is done. I guess baseball season is here now, and. Uh, I don't know if I'll be following the Pirates or not this year. We'll see how they do. And one more personal uh, point, and then I'm going to get into uh, this press conference today, which, like I said, is going to take up a lot of time. And I'll be going to Pennsylvania. going to go up and see my uh, dad for a week. He's all excited about that. Sometime in the middle of the month. I don't have the, I didn't put the dates on my notes here. Sometime in the middle of the month, it's like a Wednesday to a Wednesday. And uh, so he's all excited about that. And I did talk to him today. Dad is doing well. Uh, I called him on Saturday and wondering where he was. And you have to remember, as I think many of you know, my dad is 87 years old. I mean, that's old. I mean, the percentage of the population, especially the percentage of the male population that gets to that age, is very, very small. 
but my dad is even more unique in that he's that age, but still has pretty much his mental faculties. He does crossword puzzles every day and, and, but he's still driving. He's still a very good driver. He picks me up at the airport, like back in December at night, it was like drizzling or something. Fantastic driver, steady, maybe just a tad slow, but steady uses all his turn signals and everything else. 87 years old. So I call him on Saturday. He's with his friend Dottie who lives across the street. And she's 91 years old. And they're down in downtown Pittsburgh just cruising around. Yeah, we just decided to go down here and just take a cruise. So he's 87 years old with a 91-year-old. He's talking on the car speakerphone to me. And he's, he's like in traffic and everything. The guy is a freak. And I, I have told him, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I have told him that he should like sign up for some like studies, medical studies. You can make a couple bucks doing that. I told him given the, his health and, and his mental faculties and I told him he should sign up some, for some medical studies. Uh, you know, there's a lot of doctors who probably take an interest in, poking and prodding you to find out how you've been able to get to this age and still be so functional and to do all this and everything. And, you know, who so that was kind of funny on Saturday. Where are you, dad? Oh, I'm in downtown Pittsburgh driving around with Dottie. Oh, okay. On a Saturday afternoon, because it was busy cars everywhere. He's just cruising around. So there you go. All right. Let's see who is uh, in here tonight. And then I'm going to just jump right into this press conference. Everything, uh, everything, uh, 2023, are you, I'm going to once again ask you, are you changing that to 2024? I mean, don't do it for me. Do it for you if you want to do it. Hello, everything. Uh, Charlie, what's going on? Good to see you. Talk to your mother today. Also saw her in the video uh, from the press conference. Joanne uh, from New Hampshire. Of course, we covered the disappearance of Mara Murray from our, uh, New Hampshire. Of course, she did not uh, start her disappearance in New Hampshire, but that's where she there she and her car ended up. Joanne, good to see you, Karen, um, Deborah, Carrie, Assistant Carrie. All of you are going to be hearing from Carrie within the next few days, as I will be releasing her uh, the interview that I did with her. So be looking for that. <coughs> Glenn, Glenn asked me a question before the show got started tonight. And here, here comes the uh, allergies. Uh, and I'm going to answer that before we're done. Charlotte Fishing. What's going on, Fishing? Kathy, Suzanne, Lisa, Hazel from New Zealand. Sheree, thank you for moderating tonight. Mary Jane, good to see you. Sarah from New York. And who else is in here? Um, yeah, Charlotte. Everybody's saying... Uh, Hazel's too. I fast too. Just allowed water and coffee. I don't drink coffee, Hazel, although I do drink tea, but no coffee. Nothing else. Ice cream. Ha, that's funny. Yeah, you're fasting too, but you got ice cream and have that too. Well, yeah, but nothing else. That's, that's good. Uh, that's some good funny stuff there, Hazel. <clears throat> My dad is a legend, uh, Hazel. That's funny you put it that way. Um... New to the Chantura, thank you. Don't know what to make of that, Sheree. Brian uh, 
plan on doing more ca- high ed plan on doing more cardio for 2024 you or me i'm not a big cardio guy brian to be honest with you made uh good to see you and jasmine good to see you all right let's get into the press conference today rockford says present all right i was wondering i was going rockford rockford it's like uh, bueller bueller rockford you get that no coffee who hurt you that's funny carrie yeah i don't i don't uh drink coffee that stuff's nasty the big news today there was a press conference in shelby ohio uh orchestrated uh planned and done by friend of unfound uh police officer investigator adam turner and if some of you don't remember he of course was the guest for the mary jane van gilder episode this is an episode that came out almost exactly four years ago in february of 2020 Right before COVID got started, man, those were the days. Well, he um, had this conference there today, started at 10 a.m., went for over an hour. It was live streamed. You could watch it on the Cleveland 19 news station. You could also watch it on the YouTube channel Mysterious West Virginia. I was actually kind of going back and forth between both. Um. Actually had one playing on my computer and one playing on my smart TV, to be honest. And the big news today is that Adam Turner was able to reveal that Mary Jane Van Gilder's disappearance has been resolved. And not just 25% or 50% or 75%. 100 percent now maybe there's still some questions that we're never going to know but everybody as long as they followed that press conference everybody now knows what happened to her and why and where she went and uh and everything else now some of you don't know uh, the story of Mary Jane Van Gilder's disappearance. Please, please, of course, go back and check that episode out. Maybe sure you want to put that uh, in the chat, maybe the link to the YouTube, that particular YouTube episode, if you could do that uh, when you have a chance. And just the, the generalities, this was 1945. She was by, she was from West Virginia, and she was married, had children, I think four children. And at some point during the war, she had decided to go to Ohio to work in a manufacturing plant there. She went by herself, even though she was married, had four kids, which, uh, of course, very, 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 very rare back then. And and, and if I can say, maybe even kind of rare today. Um, and this plant was closing. And Mary Jane Van Gilder never went back to West Virginia. She was never seen again. There was some paperwork about how she was quitting or something like that. And in the reason section, she said she filled it out saying she was going to be having additional home duties, something like that. Thank you, Sheree. Yeah. If anybody doesn't know uh, that episode or hasn't listened to it or anything, uh, Sheree just put that in uh, the chat. Thank you. So she never returned to West Virginia. Adam was the guest four years ago. 
And it's just a big shrugging of the shoulders of what happened to her. Obviously, you're not going to have a lot of paperwork. And, you know, there were a lot of different possibilities uh, thinking about her disappearance. Her husband wasn't known as being the greatest guy in the world. And so you might think, well, did she go back to West Virginia and something happened there? Did he go to Ohio? Maybe she didn't want to go back. Did she, he go to Ohio and do something to her there? Did she run into some violent guy in the area there and somebody, you know, that guy killed her or something? Or did she run off or did she somehow die and nobody knew it? Did she walk off? Was she depressed? Lot of different possibilities here. And uh, Adam, Adam had been working on this for a while. And you should know that since he appeared in 2020, four years ago, there was additional information that did come out that I think really, really led to the resolution. It had to do with some military records that were somewhere, but for some reason they did not make it into the public sphere until like 2022. So when I interviewed him, if you uh, listen to that episode, we talk about that a lot of stuff, but we don't talk about these particular records and um thank you kathy and but that is not mentioned so if you hear us talking about any records if you go back and listen to that episode this is not the records we're talking about but in 2022 this additional information came out and really that is what led them to this resolution so to tell you what happened, I'll just tell you uh, what really did happen to her. And then I will get into, uh, in a nutshell, once again, it's up there. You can go to Mysterious West Virginia uh, YouTube and watch the entire conference. Or, uh, you know, you can do it that way, of course. But I, I do want to just give this in a nutshell and then get into maybe a little bit of speculation, but I think it's pretty, pretty, pretty solid. Here's what happened to Mary Jane Van Gilder. She ran off with the supervisor at that plant. She ran off with them. They got married. She had uh, two... I guess, new children, one of them being born just nine months after her like official missing persons date. And then she had another, I think two sons. She had the other son, of course, sometime after that. But I don't think it was like a long, long time after that. But she had her first son with this new guy, her supervisor, roughly nine months after her disappearance started. And then she had a son, another son, son not long after that. And this guy's name was Percy, P-E-R-C-Y, Sebrin, S-E-B-R-E-N. She ran off with him. They got married. And she lived as Mary Jane Sebrin until she died of colon cancer in 1990. 
And as is brought up, as was brought up in the conference today, not long. She, of course, you know, of course, we know about cancer, how it takes a while. But she had terminal colon cancer not long before she died. She told one of her grandchildren, so one of her her son's kids, that she had a secret that she couldn't tell anybody and that she was hoping that it would never be exposed. So this is a situation where this was a walk-off for whatever reason. Yes, she left her husband. She left her multiple children in West Virginia. She ran off with another guy, Percy Sebrin. They got married. And the the maybe the big coincidence of this is they ended up living in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, which is a big coincidence because this coming Friday, our disappearance <laughs> is from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. This will be the second time that um, Unfound has gone to Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And here we're going to there the week we find out where Mary Jane uh, Van Gilder lived out her years in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I can't even imagine what kind of coincidence that is. But her husband died before she did. He was buried in Louisiana. And when she was she died, she also was buried in Louisiana. Why Louisiana? That's probably mentioned in the presentation. I just didn't put it in my notes. So she died taking the secret to her grave. I have to believe that. Um, I have to believe that she lived all of those years looking over her shoulder. I don't know. And, and, the, and the thing is, if you watch the presentation, you're going to see they show different pictures of her throughout. Like she, you have a picture of her, like what she looked like when she went missing and then her aging, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. You see her aging and she look, of course, she looked like Mary Jane the whole time. So how do they figure this out? What, what was it? So, it wasn't – so you should also know I've known about this since November, all right? And I was sworn to secrecy. You know I told you back then that I can't say anything. You're going to have to wait till February of 2024. This is the disappearance uh, that I was talking about, and I don't think uh, that I overhyped it. Uh, to find out that the oldest disappearance that Unfound has ever featured – has now been solved and not just resolved, but 100%. This isn't a situation like Tom Brown. This is 100% resolved. I don't know if that's something anybody ever really could have predicted four years ago when, um, when we had Adam on. But this is how quickly these – of course, it wasn't quickly. I mean, it was, what, uh, 79 years in the making – but here we were in 2020. I don't know if they were at any dead ends or anything, but who knew, who knew where it was going to go? And then a new piece of information just pops uh, up there, and they run with it, and it goes somewhere. So regarding this new information, and once again, this is very general, I be really interested in this. Adam did a fantastic presentation. 
go go uh, listen to it or watch it after the live show tonight or tomorrow, whenever. Of course, it's on YouTube. It'll be there forever. But Percy Sebron's name was in Mary Jane's paperwork. But it was in the paperwork that was not made public for whatever reason. Maybe they thought it was destroyed or something until 2022. So the paperwork that that Adam and I talk about in 2020 when I interviewed him did not have Percy's name in there. But this new information that came out in 2022 did have Percy Sebring. And who was he? Like I said, he was her supervisor. What supervisor was, was he? He was the guy that taught Mary Jane how to run a forklift. It's right there in the paperwork. Percy Sebring, supervisor. Uh, she learned to, to run a forklift at this this warehouse or whatever it was. And he was the person who taught her how to do that. And somewhere in there, once they got that paperwork, somebody, uh, and once again, you please go there for the really, really specifics. Somebody decided to look Percy Sebron up. And one thing led to another. And of course they, you know, got find out that he got married not long after leaving the manufacturing plant and going back to Arkansas. They found out that he got married to a woman named Mary Jane. So yes, it's true. Mary Jane Van Gilder, when she took off, she never changed her first name. It was just like she was getting married. And I have to tell you that it leads me to believe I'm very, very open to the idea that Percy never knew about her other family. I'm pretty, pretty sure. I think that if he was a uh, a partner in this, if she told him that, you know, I'm still married and I have kids in West Virginia, but they thought they're soulmates or something like that. And if they really, really wanted to get away with it, you would have thought that Percy would have said to her, you know what? You're going to have to change your name, your first name. I know Mary's most common name, at least at the time, probably in the United States. But they had to have been thinking, here we are. We're working at this plant. She's going to go missing. They may start questioning people and i'll get to that eventually they're going to start questioning people that she worked with you know they're going to find out i'm i got married uh to a mary jane what are the odds what are the odds so i just don't think a guy would go along with that i I think that if they're going to run off and he's going to keep his name his identity percy sebrin that he's going to say you know what i think you're going to have to change your name if we really, really want to get away with this, I don't think it's going to be enough for us to get married. And of course, illegally begin to, you when you're married to some other guy that you're going to have to change everything. You're going to have to change your uh, name. What would be another uh, popular first name in the 1940s? Pick, you know, pick one. Of course, it wouldn't be like Natasha or anything. Um, 
you know, some, uh, you know, some very common name, like my mother's name was Loretta. Loretta was uh, a well-known name, uh, you know, popular name back in the 1940s. Um, it just leads me to believe that she just never told on me. I think I'm just speculating that I'm um, thinking that he didn't know. She portrayed herself as a single woman and they ran off to get married. And he was thinking that she didn't have any kids and that she wasn't married. Because we also have to think about this. What kind of guy would run off with a woman who was already married and had kids? And the headaches and you might get caught doing this and everything else. It just seems a little uh, complicated and everything else. And especially being that even today you're married to one person, you get married to another person. And uh, there are, of course, illegalities regarding that. What kind of guy is going to do that? It just seems, like I said, I don't think we're ever going to know. I got to believe that Mary Jane lied to him. And she withheld that. Now, why did she do this? Well, I would say, you know, as I was talking with uh, Assistant Emily earlier today, the only thing that you can think is that her home life, she just didn't want to go back to her home life. Maybe because she was having such a great time with Percy. And, of course, we also have to think about this. Remember, she had her first son nine months after her, roughly after her disappearance date. So I'm also maybe thinking that maybe at some point she knew she was pregnant and she was going to have a hard time explaining that when she went back to West Virginia to see her husband and her kids. There was probably that as well. So this is one of those situations where it's, it's, it's almost kind of like Eric Franks's in that, like with regarding Eric Franks's car, it was sitting in that garage right there for somebody to find. It wasn't trashed. It wasn't compacted. It wasn't parted out. It wasn't pushed into a lake. It was in some, that guy's garage, Gerald Rutledge's garage for all those years, just waiting to be found. And everybody missed it. This is the same way with Mary Jane Van Gilder's disappearance. The the clue, although, of course, Percy Sebron's name what it was just one of many uh, co-workers of hers that was probably on the paperwork, supervisors, co-workers, or whoever else working at this plant. It was right there for everybody to see if they were willing to put the work in. It was right there. And then if somebody, when she went missing back in the 1940s, Probably when this piece of paperwork that came out in 2022 could have been gotten back then, and then it kind of got lost in the shuffle, forgive the pun. Um, back then, had they started going, well, maybe a good place to start 
would be to start looking at her coworkers and see, you know, what's up with that. They certainly would have come across, across Percy Sebrin. And they would have, you know, had an address for him. You know, most people had telephones back then. Could have called him up. Hey, Percy, what's going on? Uh, did you know this Mary Jane Van Gilder? I'm guessing he would have said yes. But maybe if they'd have uh, found out that he would gotten married, you got married so quickly after leaving Ohio, going back to Arkansas, and maybe looked into him a little farther and further and said, oh, you got married to a Mary Jane. Well, what kind of coincidence is that? And I, I'm here to tell you, I know that, and, and I was, um, you know, Caroline Love, of course, the guest for Jody Who's the Truth, one of the people over at findjody.com. She and I had this uh, talk, you know, it was a private talk, but I'm sure she wouldn't mind me. It was all me talking, so. Um, okay. <laughs> um, she and I talked about this topic of clues that are in plain sight that nobody sees. And I'm here to tell you, I am convinced that most disappearances have this. They take different forms. For Eric Franks's, it's a car in a garage. For Mary Jane Van Gilder, it's a name on a piece of paper on a piece of her paperwork regarding her employment in Ohio for Zoe Campos. It's of course that concrete slab <clears throat> out, out in the backyard of Car- Carlos Rodriguez's uh, house. But more and more, I am convincing myself that, you know, can I say, Oh, I can't. But many of these disappearances that are still unsolved, there is information there that could lead us to the answer. It's just, it's not registering for some reason. It's in our faces, but it's hidden. It's obvious, but it's not obvious. I'm absolutely convinced. It's so weird that I was, because uh, of course, um, Caroline and I were, we were talking about it in the context of Jody's disappearance unsolved, you know, be this year, 29 years and me saying to her, you know, I've convinced myself with Jody's disappearance that there's a piece of information that is in the public view somewhere that can be accessed that would lead to finding out what happened to her. Of course, she was abducted. We, of course, have to take for granted that she was murdered. That makes, unfortunately, that makes a lot of sense. That there is a piece of paperwork in the public sphere somewhere that would lead us to that. Whether it has to do with the criminal record of some guy who was stalking women around the time or or something like that. Or a, or a van that was parked illegally, you know, in the days before, the days after her disappearance, stuff like that. I'm convinced that happened so many times. Maybe we could look at Bowman going off all these directions and everything. Here he was. He was dead. His body, I wouldn't say it was in plain view, but it certainly wasn't hidden either. Many homeless people had seen him, seen his body there. It was right there to be found, and nobody found it for a year and a half. It was not hidden. 
You didn't need to go on a treasure hunt or anything. I'm more and more, I'm being convinced. And of course, as you can imagine, when I start thinking about this, it drives me a little nuts because you kind of do become very self-aware. You come a little paranoid. I don't want to miss anything. With all this information that I'm being told and files people are selling me or sending me uh, PDF files or whatever else, uh, pictures, and you're like, is there something in this? Is there something in this? Is the clue right in front of me, but I can't see it just because I don't know what to do with this piece of information? Because, like I said, um, if things had gone differently, and they certainly could have, Mary Jean Van Gilder's disappearance could have been solved, maybe even in the 1940s. But it took 79 years because we had some paperwork, and it kind of disappeared for whatever reason, and then it reappeared here in 2022. And what do you know? Here we are in, in 2024 talking about what happened to her. And what's also talked about in the uh, presentation today, she was always very nebulous uh, about her background, about who she was before she and per she and Percy met in Ohio. And then, like I said, when it got to the end of her life, when she knew she was dying, that uh, you know she had the secret, but she couldn't tell anybody. A little, and she was, of course, was hoping that it would never come out. But of course, she died in 1990. This was before DNA really became a thing, and certainly before uh, the internet became a thing. And uh, I'm guessing that when she died in 1990, she was probably thinking that she got away with this. You can uh, delete that, uh, Cherie. So, um, what a revelation. Um, what a, uh, revelation regarding this. Um, and you should know, I did have a back and forth with, uh, Adam after he did his presentation today and I asked him some questions. Let me, um, let me uh, see on this. Hold on just one second. Um, I had asked him. I asked him about Percy Seaburn that drew what drew attention to him. He says, I think it was random. Uh, the civilian sleuth was just going through and tracing all names in the military file. Like I said, going through the names one by one. It's amazing. Um. Uh, her children, uh, Percy Jr. and Kenneth, knew very little about their mother, about her history before she met their father. Um, and I said, is it a stretch to think that two ran off together because Percy got her pregnant and she would have a hard time explaining? He go, um, uh, Adam says that's not a stretch at all. In fact, he says that's probably very likely what happened. Um of course, the other thing is she did manage to change her social security number. So once she got married or 
somehow she was able to change it. And uh, I don't know if it was in the presentation, but what Adam wrote me here is that that it was a social security number issued in Louisiana before 1950. If you don't know your social security numbers, um, they can tell when it was issued and when what state it was issued by just looking at the number, if you didn't know that. So people, (coughs) for example, if you uh, got your social security number like I did it, in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania social security numbers have a certain arrangement and certain numbers. And of course, according, uh, according to the year, um, and maybe in what part of the state that you got it. So they could do that just saying that it was one, a number that was issued in Louisiana before 1950. So it, it seems that she didn't steal a social security number. It seems that she just went out and got a new one somehow for Mary Jane Sebrin, which was the name that she had from roughly around 1945 until she died in 1990. So I've said a lot. I got a lot of catching up here, I think, to do. Was um, here... Let's see here. Um, Carrie says, I'm so proud of Detective uh, Turner. Strong work. We need more investigators like that. We certainly do. Uh, Adam did an excellent job. I'm so happy for Mary Jane's family. Me too, Carrie. What an amazing guy. Yes, Adam is great. I need to catch up, Hazel said, on MJ's story. I don't know it. Yeah, you go check it out. There's the link right there, Hazel. Uh, Hello, Marty. What's going on? Brian, uh, what's up? Uh, Adam is tenacious. Hello, Mark and Indy. Um, Sheree said she went missing in 1945, in case that wasn't clear, right? 1945, the oldest disappearance that unfound is ever featured. Brian says Mary Jane sounded very adventurous. I guess so. Um, a daughter than a son, Kathy said. Okay, uh, no... Um, no, it wasn't a daughter than a son, Kathy. Uh, it was Percy Jr. and Kenneth. Uh, she had uh, two sons with uh, Percy. Yeah. Yeah, there's the prese. I can't understand why people just do that, like Richard and Robert Hoagland Jasmine. I don't. Uh, I think that her probably being pregnant was a, certainly a deciding factor and all of this Jasmine, which of course is not something that Richard Hoagland and Robert Hoagland could have claimed. But I got to believe that she might've thought that she was pregnant and her husband would find out that the son or the child uh, wasn't his and who knows what would have happened. I'm not saying, I'm not excusing what she did, but we can pretty much guess that was probably what was in uh, her head. Suzanne never thought it would be solved. Uh, Carrie, it made me a little sad that it took so long to report her missing, but after the press, I now wonder if her husband always knew but shielded the kids from the truth of her abandoning them. Uh, I'm going to, until I hear otherwise, Carrie, I'm going to think that Percy never knew. And maybe he didn't care uh, what her life was before then. Marty says, I wasn't thinking walk-off for her. That's wild. Yeah, uh, I'm going to get to that, Marty. Um uh, 
there had to be extreme circumstances for her to left with uh, first family. Yeah, maybe a pregnancy to another guy. I don't understand why leave her kids behind. Well, like I said, pregnancy possibly. Back then, she would not have been permitted to take the kids. Probably not. Um, extremely rare. I think the mother leaves. How convenient to run off with a coworker supervisor. Brian, it's right there. It was right there for everybody to see. Of course, it would have taken a little work and everything. But what this, uh, as uh, Adam said here, the citizen sleuth, he is calling it, who are, um, did just what could have been done back in the 1940s. Except, of course, with technology and it's a little easier. But all the person did was started going through the names of people who Mary Jane had contact with when she worked at the plant. You could have done that back then. Uh, an armchair detective. Yeah, that's right. That's what happened, Carrie. It was in her military papers. Additional household duties sounded like an, another pregnancy. It did to me too, Kathy. I'm going to get to that here in a bit. Things were certainly different in 1945, Charlotte. I know a listener from Unfound was helping Adam. I wonder if that was who found the record. Um, I'm not sure who that was, Cherie. Who, what listener is it? Yeah, Mary Jane didn't want to share her past. That was a huge tip-off. Yes, Kathy's saying James Van Gilder filed for divorce in 1946, and it was granted to him with Mary Jane in, in absentia. Yes. Uh, what was so bad in her life that she had to abandon her family? Like, I'm going to keep saying this. I am going to go forward, I guess, until I see facts otherwise to think the reason she did this is because she knew she was pregnant by another guy. And we know all about abortions and stuff back at that time. I'm not here to get into the politics of that. Um, pretty sure. <laughs> Hazel says Percy was a stud. Uh, maybe. Um, yeah, she probably didn't think she could go back because of the pregnancy, Marty says. Charlotte says, I think her home life with her first husband was really bad, and I'm not excusing her, but we don't know what she was going through. And like I said, things were different in 1945. Uh, why do some people seemingly have good lives and they disappear anyway? I'm not sure Mary Jane had a great life, Jasmine. I mean, first of all, we have to put this, you know, I was, um, by the way, I haven't mentioned this yet. My sister actually went to this. If you see uh, Charles, um, Charlie, my nephew, who's always in the chat, watches every Monday night. <coughs> his mother was <coughs> my sister her his mother was at the presentation today since i couldn't go and she lives just a couple hours away i asked her to represent the podcast and if you watch the video you can uh see her uh, at least a couple times <coughs> in the video if you watch the feed from cleveland 19 news but i was uh talking to her um, once she got home today and yeah, we're saying, well, how could she run off her kids? Well, we have to remember something. Mary Jane had already left her family and her kids and her husband go to New York or to go to Ohio to work. And we all have to recognize that how rare, 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 rare that was back then. And this is a talk that my sister and I got into. How could you just leave your kids like that? Why didn't, you know, and of course we see things differently now, but. So it seems that she had no problem leaving her kids to go work somewhere, you know, in another state anyway. 
We have to remember that. It wasn't like she disappeared from her home. She disappeared from a different state at a job that where she had been there, what, a year? She had been away from her husband and kids for a year or something like that. Just have to remember that. Uh, Charlotte says her husband would have won in court. I'm sure uh, uh, Kathy said James was not a stand-up guy, but she could have at least kept in touch with her four daughters and one Van Gilder son. Yeah. I'm just glad Charlotte says that she was not murdered. End result, I'm sure kids felt abandoned when she left. Uh, I'm Brian. Like I said, I'm wondering if the kids just didn't feel abandoned when she went off to work in Ohio. And maybe she thought, you know, I'm here in Ohio for however long. And the kids seem to be doing okay. Ah, they're really not going to miss me anyway. And uh, you go along. It's amazing how the mind can start to rationalize these things. And then on top of that, she meets some guy and she's attracted to him. And of course, they stayed married from 1945 until he died. I think, I, like I said, I think in the 1980s. So they stayed married for 40 some years. So it stuck. This wasn't some fling. Uh, MJ sent war bonds to her oldest daughter, then asked for them back. That's right. Uh, Lisa says that I told Detective Turner about those records after listening to your podcast. Uh, Lisa, that's a great job. Great. Um, fantastic. I just can't just don't even, uh, just amazed by the whole thing. Uh, great work. Great work. Um, MJ had been living in an apartment over a store. Yep. Um, I'm going to delete. Okay. I wonder if she felt threatened in some way by James. Very possible. Uh, okay. She, maybe she felt shame at leaving them. Maybe I don't know. Charlotte sounded like she felt very shameful at leaving them. Lisa, you can get a copy of the social security application too. I have my great grandfather's. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. How did she get away with using an unassigned social security number for many years? It wasn't an unassigned one. She had got a new one from Louisiana. She didn't get an unassigned social security number. Um, Adam says here, there's a way to track where social security numbers come from. They make it difficult for local law enforcement to view those records. I asked some federal counterparts to search the history of the social security number, but all they told me at the time that it was issued in Louisiana before 1950. It wasn't unassigned. It was hers. And, uh, of course, she was born in 1911. She died in 1990. She would have been 79 years old. I'm guessing she used that to collect Social Security. So uh, you're the tax person, Kathy. But I don't think uh, it was assigned to her. Uh, not Percy, her original husband. Hello, uh, Jill. I'm watching on the phone. Okay. Um, Yes. Uh, Shri, I'm blocking whatever that wet WhatsApp person putting a number on there. So I don't know if you could do that or not. I was not the person who found Percy Sebring, though, just to clarify. Okay, that's fine, Lisa. Uh, uh, thanks for giving me the names of two kids who Percy, not a daughter and son with him. I misspoke. That's all right. <laughs> Charlie's saying Diane represents. Diane does 
uh, represent Charlie. That is a true Diane. I knew, um, you know, my sister lives in Ohio. She lived a couple uh, hours away and I knew I couldn't be there, but it was just something that I thought, I think my sister would be into this. I think that she'd be like to go and check out, you know, uh, Ohio history being made and, um, you know, to put it, uh, see how the hot dogs are made, you know, kind of the behind the scenes that goes into these disappearances when they, when they are solved. So, uh, and I appreciate her. She did get to, I think she just introduced herself to Adam, but she did. My sister did talk to the mysterious uh, West Virginia guy and for a little while, she told me, and she also met Adam's uh, brother, Adam Turner's brother, who was also at the, at the conference today. Um, Lisa says on the social security records, I might have to send him another message. Okay. Um, I can't see it. So it must be from, it is from Facebook. Uh, Sheree. Yeah. Somebody, I had to block the person putting some, what's it, This is my WhatsApp number. Um, yeah. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, a couple more things now. Not maybe some of you already saw this in the discussion group or on the Facebook page today, but I did go back and check the Patreon blog, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. This is why you should sign up for Patreon, even just to read the blogs. It's $2 a month. And you get a 3,000 word blog every week. And you get to see inside my head. I do a lot of theorizing and stuff that I, of course, hardly ever do in the episodes. But this is why you should be signed up. I went back and found the blog that I wrote four years ago for Mary Jane Van Gilder's disappearance. And if you don't know what I do is I, uh, in the blog, I look at a variety of aspects of the disappearance, give my insight on them. And it's from all the blogs that I've written since 2017 or whenever it was that have come to create the way I look at disappearances, the way I present them to criminal justice majors, the way I present them on Dr. Telesco's show and everywhere else. It's from all of that writing and looking at these disappearances, analyzing them in the privacy of my own condo, that I come to these conclusions. But at the end of every blog, I tell the readers what I think happened. Here is what I wrote for Mary Jane Van Gilder's uh, episode four years ago. This is just the final, pretty much the final paragraph. I think Mary Jane took off to start a new life. I think she knew her children were being cared for. I think she thought they'd be fine since they lived apart for over a year anyway. I think she believed James would find a new woman anyway. And I think that she knew there was no way she could go back to West Virginia being that she had a child with another man. Is that creepy or what i wrote that four years ago i got her disappearance 100 percent right 
she did run off with another guy. She did get pregnant to another guy. She did leave her life with, live her life with some other guy, you know, and of course I, I don't think we're, you know, unless she was going to set the record for the uh, Earth's oldest human being, we had to know that of course uh, that she was deceased even at the time that the episode came out four years ago. I made that prediction four years ago, and I did send that to Adam telling him, this is what I predicted four years ago. Uh, and I, I really, you know, I can't really remember. I, and I, I have to be honest with you. I don't, I did not remember what I wrote. Um, so that's why I had to go back and check. Little did I know when I checked how accurate I would be. I had no idea. And and I'll be honest with you. Had I found out that I'd come to some different conclusion, I would have told you. And, and as I've said many times, I've admitted when I've been wrong about some of these disappearances. But you'd be amazed if you're keeping track. You shouldn't be amazed if you're keeping track how many of these I get right. And this is one where I got it even more right than I could have predicted. Um, Charlotte's asking me, amazing. And how did you know that? Uh, as somebody already wrote and I've, as I, in the, in the chat here tonight, and as I've already stated, the part that really stuck with me was when she said that she was quitting or whatever it was because she had additional home duties or however that was put that comment really, really, really stuck with me. And this is why you just, I don't know. I, I realize a lot of the times with these disappearances, it's hard to know what to include and what to hard. It's hard to know what to throw out. What is actually stuff that's going to lead us to a resolution and what is the stuff that's not. And I just thought that, For her to write that, it had to be the truth because it just – she could have simply blown that question off and written anything. And they're not – what are they going to do? They're not going to check it. But that she put it that way, that's – you know, it's like uh, what do they call slang or what they call might call a euphemism where you can't just come out and say something so you put it a different way. You're kind of saying something without saying something. That's the way I took that statement. Additional household duties. Well, if that's the case, why didn't she just actually write what those duties were? And I started thinking the reason she couldn't do that is because they really weren't about duties. She couldn't write it because it was, she wanted to be truthful, but she knew she couldn't be totally truthful because that might get her in trouble with somebody. And that may be being her husband. This is the way my mind processed that statement. And from there, everything just follows. Additional duties to me meant, I bet she was pregnant by some other guy, and that's who she ran off with. Now, of course, maybe you could have eventually murdered her or whatever, uh, but I was pretty sure that she got pregnant by some guy there. Now, little did I know that it was going to be actually somebody she worked with. Of course, looking back 2020, hindsight 2020, that makes all the sense in the world. But she could have met a, a neighbor or some guy in the street or going out after work, meeting some guy, you know, going out with coworkers, some guy who was also 
living Shelby, uh, you know, doing some other job that had nothing to do, did wasn't working with her at all. So that's just Charlotte. That is just how my mind worked. Um, it just seemed to make all the sense in the world that she was saying something without saying something. Uh, so, uh, like I said, nobody was more amazed than I was when I found that blog from 2020 and went back and I just went, I didn't even read the whole thing. I just went to the last couple paragraphs because I know when I write these, I don't reveal, usually don't reveal my particular theory until the last couple paragraphs. So I just went to the last couple paragraphs and that's what it was. And I'm sure the rest of it. Uh, has to do with me getting to that point uh, that I wrote here, that I just said here. Uh, Lisa, your prediction was spot on. I said the same thing. She likely couldn't get a divorce because she was pregnant. So what else was she going to do to have a better life for that child? Right. That's right. Carrie, pregnancy wasn't really spoke about in the 1940s. I remember my grandma Close to Mary Jane's age was confused, so confused how much people just blurted out. Uh, Shree is agreeing with Lisa. Lisa, that's so true, Lisa. Those laws still exist in some states today. Lisa, yes, it's still here in Mississippi. So Mary Jane Van Gilder, I think, let me check my notes. i kind of just been doing this all really off the top of my head. Um, and you should know that Mary Jane's granddaughter from her first marriage uh, was there and she read a statement. Um, but like I said, Mary Jane Van Gilder became Mary Jane Sebrin, died 1990 from colon cancer, told a grandchild that she had a secret. Percy's name was on the paperwork, her own paperwork. Still unclear how she got that social security number and it sounds to me like she never wanted to reveal what her background was. And maybe, I don't know if people didn't even care that much. Um, what was a couple other interesting things about the presentation? One thing that made me almost laugh out loud was Adam Turner talking about private investigators. Pretty sure Adam Turner has the same opinion on private investigators that I do. <laughs> he goes, yeah, and a bunch of uh, private investigators that wanted help, but they wanted paid. So, um, yeah, they wouldn't have been, they, I don't think they would have been much help anyway, but the, the private investigator comment, um, really, uh, caught my uh, ear. And the other thing was, if you, once again, if you did not catch the press conference, please take some time this week to watch it. How much help Adam Turner did not get from so many other police departments regarding this, because Part of the process of finding what you're going to see and finding Mary Jane is they went through all of these other unidentified remains and women who were missing. And I mean, they went, I couldn't even count how many, you know, unidentified remains popping up over the years. Um, and to get to the point where of course they eventually found out what happened to Mary Jane but all of that had to do with then coordinating with other police departments. And he admitted just so many of them just were not helpful. 
You know, he wanted them to exhume a body to check DNA, and they were like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. So for not just families who have problems with the police departments, it seems police departments have problems with other police departments too. It's a problem. It's a big, I mean, I know this is becoming kind of a thing almost from week to week on this live show. And uh, even going back to like Irma McCurchion's uh, episode from a month ago, talking about police and what they don't do and everything. I think, you know, maybe it's just taken some time. But seven and a half years into Unfound, we now can understand why so many of these, these dang disappearances are unsolved. We're, I think we're now really, really starting to really understand it. Police departments lie. They don't call people back. And in fact, they won't even help other police departments. So that uh that caught my ear today uh and but when you watch it you're just going to be shocked on how many false leads there were over the years many 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 uh in my notes i have that uh did percy know i i'm gonna until i hear otherwise i don't think he knew I think that he's, you know, and she, you know, well, she didn't, I guess she didn't lie about her age, but I I might, I think I've convinced myself at this point that Percy thought that he ended up working with a 34 year old single woman who didn't have any kids and wasn't married and thought, man, this is fantastic. I think that's what's happened. Cause I just, now maybe she eventually told him, maybe she told him in like 1963 or 1971, but in 1945, I've convinced myself for now that Percy didn't know. Cause like I said, right at the beginning here, if he knew that she was like running away from her husband and the kids and everything, first of all, you'd like to think that a guy wouldn't do that especially a guy that ends up being married to the same woman for the next 40 years or how long it was. And then on top of that, would he really have allowed her to keep her first name? I was like, you know, if we really want to get away with this, uh, Mary Jane, you're going to have to change that name. That's what leads me to believe that he didn't know. But my opinion is that this disappearance did not have to go unresolved for 79 years. There were paper, there was paperwork there that was not private that could have led them to a solution. Uh, the name Percy Seabrin was right there in the paperwork, but obviously nobody ever tracked him down. Amazing. Just really, really amazing. We can learn once again, it's one of the things we can learn so much from it, but I guess, I guess what we're also saying is kind of going being that somebody brought them up, Richard Hoagland, Robert Hoagland, Lori Ruff, all of these people who run off and create new identities, one way or another, there are people who make mistakes or look the other way or whatever that allows these things to happen. Robert Hoagland, of course, people, you know, he wanted to pay cash and everything. They just kind of let it go. Why? Because he was just a nice guy. Lori Ruff, 
Her husband knew something didn't quite seem right before, you know, because they had a child together and everything. He kind of just ignored it until, of course, she was dead from a suicide. And then she had that box that revealed all that stuff. And then with Richard Hoagland, it's kind of the same thing where uh, obviously his wife did not know he had a prior life because as soon as she found out that he was uh, Richard Hoagland, she ended up divorcing him. But I'm guessing she probably there were things that popped up with him that she just looked the other way. And then this should be uh, maybe a lesson for all of us. I'm not, you know, you meet somebody new, you're attracted to that person. Maybe there's a future. And, you know, and you shouldn't be so stalkerish to find out every single thing about that person. You know, how many, you know, how many ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends does this person have or anything like that. But if this person is being evasive, on topics that most people would talk about no problem. That's a huge red flag. Don't ignore it. Rockford. Uh, also, at common law, there's a presumption that the husband of a married woman is the father of any child she has during the marriage. Legally, I'm not sure how hard it is to overcome that presumption. Yes. Uh, thank you, Rockford. Sheree uh, says, can't get divorced here in Texas until after the baby is born in 2024. Uh, maybe she did tell the truth and he loved her enough for it not to matter. Charlotte, very possible. Uh, all I'm saying is that in 1945, when these two ran off, I've convinced myself the person didn't know. Yeah, Kimberly Moreau's family, they had so little help from police. That's true. Uh, it's a common topic. Uh, Glenn, even into the 1970s, you could easily get a new social security number. John List committed mass murder in New Jersey and he went to Colorado and got one as a middle-aged accountant. Yes, right. There you go, Glenn. Mary Jane Van Gilder Sebrin. Uh, Mary Jane, wherever you are. Um, I, I really, you know, from a, a moral point of view, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to make of this. But, we, you know, we really don't do that kind of judging here. But... Whew. I, uh, wherever she is, if you believe in that type of thing, I don't know if she's happy or sad that now everybody is now finding about it. She, you know, about this, she took this to her grave. So I'm guessing she was hoping nobody was going to find out. Well, she got found out. So now if you're wondering, well, what is now the oldest disappearance now for unfound that's unsolved? That would be Evelyn Hartley. From La Crosse, Wisconsin, 1952. And that would be another one. If it gets solved, that would be a shocker. Because, of course, in that situation, we all know it was a murder. Somebody went into that house, took her, whether she was the target or it was just a coincidence or whatever. Surely Evelyn Hartley was harmed uh, that night. And somebody got away with it. So that is now the oldest disappearance in Unfound's catalog, Evelyn Hartley. And once again, if you don't know that uh, episode, please go check it out. That disappearance was covered maybe 2018 or something. I think that was uh, that was a uh, Anthony. That was a crime blogger 1983 uh, episode. So that's we move up to from 1945. I think it was 1952. So moving on, I do have a question. Um, so once again, I'll just wrap this all up. 
If you want to watch the news conference, uh, although I usually don't market other people's channels and everything, uh, go to Mysterious West Virginia and you can watch, I think, the, the entire hour and 10-minute um, presentation by Adam. A lot of uh, pictures, a lot of things up on the screen and all things. And I uh, do get thanked twice like in the first 10 minutes and then like in the last 10 minutes of the presentation. Rockford, let's give Adam a week off before we put him on Hartley case. Yeah, that's a good one, Rockford. Good one. All right. I did have a question and it's from um, Glenn tonight. And that has to do with the disappearance of Johnny Gosh. Glenn, who is in the chat tonight, is this probably way too much for tonight's show? Not at all. I was curious your thoughts about the Johnny Gosh case. is one of the earliest cases that got me into true crime. But the relentless, relentless conspiracy theories were too much to deal with after a while. I'd love a fresh look from a non-conspiratorial point of view. Uh, first of all, Glenn, you should know that uh, I have tried. Of course, we did cover a disappearance that happened right in the same city, uh, uh, Mark Allen's disappearance, if we'll remember, Glenn. Maybe, I'm sure you remember that, right? Mark Allen, where Chris Allen, his brother, was the guest. And that must go back to, what, 2022, maybe? Trying to look here. Uh, yes, uh, late 2022 is when that episode came out. And Johnny Gosh's uh, disappearance. Um, I think did get mentioned in that interview. And I think I even mentioned it probably while writing the blog, the Patreon blog for that one. And I've tried. I don't think that Noreen, um, I've tried to cover disappearance. I don't think she'd come on and talk to me, Glenn, Uh, because I'm going to have to ask her about, you uh, you know, what am I supposed to say about this? I don't believe any of the stories that happened after. Uh, I don't believe that Johnny came to see her with some other guy and and all of that at all. Does she believe it? I'm not even sure. Uh, The issue we have is that some family members, some people will go to extraordinary lengths to get attention for their disappearances, even to the point of lying. Now I'm going to give Noreen a break in saying that maybe what happened there is that she had a dream that Johnny came to visit her. And because she's in a, you know, she uh, and her husband are very emotionally scarred by this. Um, you know, it's become fact. It's, it's, it's a dream, and maybe we've all had a dream that we remember from years and years and years ago that we start thinking, did that actually happen, or did that happen when I, I was sleeping? Now, of course, we know dreams usually have supernatural elements. You know, we're flying or some, things that can't happen here in the real world. But on the other hand, sometimes we do have dreams that could happen in the real world. So I'm going to give her a break. And say that 
I could see a situation where she dreamed that Johnny and some guy came to talk to her and this became something that's real for her now today. But I certainly don't believe that any story about how he came to visit her and unless it was just some huge prank by somebody. Um, but Glenn, you know, you, of course, many times you're in this live show. I know you've been listening for a long time. Um, you also know how I feel about kids who go missing. And we have to remember that a, um, a large majority of the time, it's the parents who cause the disappearances. And that is even something uh, that I explored even with Mark Allen's disappearance. Because you go back and listen to that episode and you listen to his brother talk about it. The details aren't as solid as we would hope. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, I'm and I realized there was what was it Johnny Gosh and Mark Allen and who was the other boy probably listed here somewhere Eugene Martin they all you know vanished in that general vicinity of you know Des Moines Iowa and everything and it certainly you certainly could be buy into the idea that some sexual predator was going around taking these kids that's what happened to Jacob Wetterling. But the odds say that at least two of these kids, if you're going to have three, at least two of these boys were harmed by their parents. That's what the stats say. It's like you know, 70% when these kids go missing and everything. It's at least 70% of the time it's a parent who did it. So when we look at Mark Allen, Johnny Gosh, and Eugene Martin – Just don't even look at the circumstances. Not even knowing that they were in the same city and, and all these things. Stats say that for two of them, the parents did it. And I guess it's up to all of you to figure out if you're going to have to pick two. Now, maybe it was just one. But if it's none, then that is a real, you have to understand, that is a huge statistical anomaly. You have to understand that. So it is unlikely zero uh, where uh, it's unlikely that all of them went missing due to strangers. It's much more likely that at least one of them, only one of them was harmed by a stranger. So this is, of course, why uh, getting back to this, um, probably Noreen, uh, although I've reached out, like I said, it's not been recently. Maybe it was around the time the Mark Allen episode came out, or maybe even before that. I think she wants to come on and – she doesn't do uh, – the Goshes have done a lot of um, media over the years, although it seems to me that it's been a lot fewer appearances recently, like in the 21st century. But they don't do interviews like I interview people. So 
that's where my head is on this, uh, Glenn. That's really all I feel comfortable saying publicly. You know, I... Yeah. That's, that's, a real, that's really all I feel safe saying. Um, Johnny was the boy out. Johnny, um, yeah, the paper route. That is right, uh, Hazel. Um, Charlotte, Ed, are you familiar with the Erica Frontlich disappearance? I am not. Glenn, I thought Noreen was just trying to keep the case alive, possibly, or the years of stress took their toll. Very well could be. Uh, the problem is, Glenn, is that, you know, it's one thing to do something to get attention for your son's disappearance, but then to continue that lie, still telling the same lie. You're, like I said, my opinion is that it's a lie. I don't have any proof that it's a lie. All right. My opinion is that it sounds made up given my seven and a half years of experience covering disappearances. The issue is that it's still something that's out there that people, I just think, accept. And I, I don't think there's any reason to accept it. Uh, Kathy, Evelyn Hartley covered December 18th, 2017. Yeah, that sounds about right, Kathy. Thank you. So that's my opinion on Johnny Gosh. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Certainly could be that he was out and um, got, got kidnapped by, by somebody. Um, you know, witness, I'm registering the Charlie project witnesses told authorities that John was last seen speaking to a male, a suspect on 42nd street, Mark Hart lane while delivering papers, you know, and everybody's, Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure he, I'm sure Johnny, when he was doing his paper, I'll talk to a lot of people. That doesn't mean anything. So. You know, the tough part is that Johnny, as a paper boy, uh, would have had a set schedule. So if somebody got onto that schedule and knew where to meet him, then it's no different than a woman who goes jogging every morning and some guy is stalking her. It's the same thing. So, you know, uh, Noreen says she believed he was kidnapped and sold into a pedophile prostitution ring. No proof of that. She claimed that she was visited by her son when she testified during a 1999 pedophile crime organization trial in Nebraska. Uh, said that he had visited her Iowa apartment in the middle of the night in 1997 with an unidentified male and stayed for over an hour. I don't believe that happened. Charlotte, Erica disappeared, 1986. Um, I will have to look into it, Charlotte. Thank you. So that's my opinion on it, uh, Glenn. Um, I'm trying to avoid any controversy on that. Uh, I'm just telling you what the stats say. The stats say that if you pick three random children who go missing, the stats say that two of them, the disappearances, will have been caused by their parents. All right. Let's take a look at these panky letters. I'm going to open the thin one first. Let's see what Steve, let's see if I can, I don't even know if I can read this. So I, I can't make any promises. All I'm promising you is that I'm just opening it now and I'm going to look at it now. He thanks me for the update. Thanks me for the monthly talking about his case on the live show. And he wants me to keep him updated. Um, I, uh, in answer to your questions, 
On the last letter I sent to him, it had to do with something that assistant Sheree moderator Sheree had sent me about uh, Michael Rourke. And there's uh, a show out there that really went after him. I don't know what to make of it. Um, Steve's opinion is that there's no daylight between judge, the judge in, in Steve's case and, uh, Michael Rourke. He thinks that they're very close and he says that he thinks Rourke dominated the courtroom, which I was only there for my part, but I, I don't know that. Um, uh, Steve says that he didn't even, Steve uh, says that he didn't even know that Michael Rourke was married. Um, he says, uh, some not nice things about detective Prill and Michael work and their concern with getting convictions. Uh, Steve says, uh, that his attorney sell, um, he doesn't say which attorney this is, but he says, uh, they may, so I guess maybe it was the second attorneys, the public defenders. He says, my attorney said they felt I will likely win on appeal falsely accusing me of rape, no connection, falsely saying I was arrested for felony assault, never happened, falsely saying I never owned um, new Raymer property, not considering uh, Norris Drake. Uh, but he does say that Anthony Viorst told him about Norris Drake. So these are all things that I asked him about. When did he first hear of Norris Drake? Uh, he did not hear about Norris Drake until he says that Anthony Viorst told him about him. At both trials under DA, let's see here. My first attorney, so my first attorney, which was uh, Tony Viorst, who I've spoken to. Uh, he says at both trials under DA Robert Miller Jr. stated, Yeah. In both trials under direct examination, Robert Miller Jr. stated he was a friend of Norris's sister. She was a longtime Weld County dispatcher. So, and that's true. So I guess what, you know, it could be saying here is could there, uh, the fix have been in regarding Norris Drake being that his sister was familiar with law enforcement in Weld County. So that's what he had to say uh, regarding this. And these are in response to... Uh, what I wrote him about some things that popped up regarding Michael Rourke. And I really wanted to get to the bottom of when he had first heard Norris Drake. He said, he's saying, you know, he said he never heard of Norris Drake until uh, his first attorney, Tony Viorst brought him up. So that was that letter. So letter number two is a little thicker. Um, when did I get this one? This one, uh, yeah. You should know, I don't check my mail every day. I check my mail like once a week. <laughs> so these letters might have been sitting there a while. So this is, as you can see, these are multiple pages. Um, yeah, this is long. I don't think I want to get into this. Uh, I don't think I'm, yeah, these are some things I'm like, this is long. I'm not going to be able to get into this tonight. I'll have to, uh, have to look through all of this and then determine what I can say, uh, for next week. Just showing you, uh, it's, uh, of course the advantage I have is that I can type to him, but he has to write everything out by hand. 
and there's three full just the front of the pages. And so I'm not going to get into this tonight. At least I was able to read one of the letters to you. I will have to really dissect this to see how much I can say and what I can what I don't think I'm comfortable saying without because I really don't know where he's going with all of this. He has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven points uh, that he makes in many paragraphs. So we might just have to wait uh, for that till next week, especially since we only have a half hour left and there are some other things that I want to get to. But you got to see uh, here at least one of Steve's letters tonight, and it was fairly revealing, finding out that he had never heard of Norris Drake until his, if you want to believe it, I'm not asking you to believe anything. I'm just telling you what he's saying. Um, that he didn't hear of Norris Drake until Tony Verse told him about him, and then also about uh, not knowing as much as I revealed to him about uh, Michael Rourke and some controversy that is out there regarding uh, Rourke's work uh, done well before uh, Steve was ever charged with murdering Janelle Matthews. Um, where do I want to go next? Like I said earlier, the team episodes are going to be coming out within the next few days. Just going to do them in order. Uh, Car- Carrie, then Emily, then Eric. Then in Sh- then Cherie, and uh, I hope you will find uh, them enlightening and getting to know these people that I mention quite often. Uh, there are two books regarding uh, disappearances, unfound is featured that are going to be coming out sometime. Uh, out of the blue, I got an email from Sherry Glazer. Uh, she was the guest. She's the wife of Gregory Howells. You might remember that. He's the guy who went golfing and never came back. Eventually, his uh, his golf clubs were found on the course, kind of sprayed all over the place. I think that was a dis- di- uh, di- disappearance from Northern California. And and I'll be honest, I've not spoken to Sherry, I think, since pretty much she was on the episode. Out of, out of nowhere, she emails me, and it was and it was great uh, to hear from her. She sent me a uh, couple pictures of some things I don't think I want to get into tonight, but um, that are kind of um, unusual and maybe a little supernatural-ish. I really, like I said, I won't do it tonight. But she did say that she is writing a book about all of this. So, and she is, uh, you know, as maybe some of you remember, she is a performer and, and actress and everything. So, uh, certainly writing, uh, would be in her wheelhouse. So I got to believe that, uh, this will be completed. She's not told me the title of it or how far she's into it, but she's going to be having a book. I don't know if it's going to be just about Greg's disappearance, but, Certainly, that will be part of it. So I wanted to let you know about that. But also, um, and I meant to call him today, but I didn't. Um, there is a book, allegedly, that's going to be coming out regarding the disappearance of Julie Wefflin, along with that other disappearance uh, that's kind of been connected to hers, and uh, let me let me see if I can. What, it, it's not a dis. Although the disappearance was mentioned in the episode, we've never s- concentrated. Um, 
specifically on it. Let me go get my phone so I can get the name. Hold on. So John Paulos uh, texted me, I think on Saturday. And like I said, I was going to call him today. I have to admit that I forgot. But he texted me and told me, I'm not going to reveal the um, the writer's name at this point, but um, is writing a book about uh, the Wefflin and Swanson. Remember Swanson, the woman's last name was Swanson, who went missing right around that same time as well. Um, somebody is going to be writing a book about their disappearances. And so I'm going to try to find out more about this. I did speak to John yesterday, um, but it was, uh, he was doing something and I was going to those Super Bowl parties. And so I was going to call him today, but if you can believe it, uh, John Polo still works. He's in his seventies and he teaches high school. He teaches in a high school out there somewhere crazy. So I have to try to find a time to call him when he's not teaching. And he's in Oregon or California somewhere now. And I'm here. So it's three hours difference. So I have to call him like later in the day. So maybe I'll try to get that done uh, tomorrow. But he was the one that texted me about that. So, um, and he told me the author's name, but I'm not going to mention it yet. Um, let's see what everybody is saying here. Uh, Emily says, I want to go back and listen to my interview, but then again, I don't. Oh, Emily. Oh, Emily's here. Oh, hello, Emily. Well, you kind of just snuck right into this uh, chat tonight, didn't you? You're sneaky like that. Uh, hello. Um, Hazel's looking forward to them. Yes. Uh, Charlotte says she remembers Julie's case. Thank you, Hazel. I'm nervous, but I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the team's interviews. Yes, uh, Sheree. Yeah, they did fine. They all did great. So we got books from uh, that going to contain the disappearance of Gregory Howes. And then I think was it named Christina Swanson? I can't remember. But Julie Wefflin and then the other young woman who went missing around the same time, uh, the woman Swanson, whose vehicle was found next to this park. And, of course, the, the rumor out there is that guy, Will Parks, knew both of them, and then both these women go missing. I'm not sure what to think about that. But uh, those books will be coming out. I don't know if it's going to be 2024. Uh, I'll try to find out more information from both Sherry and John uh, when I can. Uh, let's go. We haven't uh, actually talked about this yet tonight. The Kim Moreau poll. Have not done this yet, so let's get right uh, to it. This is uh, posted in the discussion group, and I can't give you the think tank uh, verdict because we have, didn't do the think tank last night because of uh, the Super Bowl. And once again, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. But the Kim Moreau poll, where is it? Got a, here we go. No, that's not it. The Kim, <laughs> I got to really scroll down here. I had all these posts. Here we go. Who caused Kim Moreau's disappearance? In the discussion group, an overwhelming number, 90% of the people 
decided that it was a combination of the guys mentioned in the episode who caused her disappearance. So a combination of Brian, Daryl, and Kelvin, I guess. Maybe the ex-boyfriend might have been in there as well. But I gave the choices of Brian, the cheating ex-boyfriend, a combo of the guys mentioned in the episode, Kim herself or somebody not mentioned in the episode. 90% of the respondents said a combination of the guys mentioned in the episode. I've uh, finished the blog. Uh, once again, being that I, I guess I've shown such a uh, pretty good, uh, pretty good talent at predicting the resu- results of many of these disappearances. Um, I have to tell you that I think the ex-boyfriend is the most likely person, even though she was driving around with Brian and everything. My money is still on the boyfriend that she caught having sex with another girl. And if you want to read why I came to that conclusion, you can go to patreon.com. It's not posted yet, but it will be patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Uh, Rockford says Wefflin's is a fascinating case and I'm not the least bit surprised that John is still going strong. Yeah, John, uh, Yes, he is still teaching high school. He retired from that power company and then he got a teaching job and he's still doing it in his seventies. Crazy. Carrie says, best thing about the Super Bowl, we don't have to hear about Taylor and her boyfriend for a while. Oh, Carrie. So that is the Kim Moreau poll. And now I want to go to the story about this girl. 15-year-old girl went missing in a layover in Denver. A 15-year-old girl stopped for a layover in Denver Denver last month has gone missing, and authorities are seeking the public's help to finding her. In finding her, Harper Cadman landed at Denver International Airport on January 30th, but never boarded her flight back to California, according to a news release from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The teen girl is believed to be in the Denver or or Boulder area. Harper is about five foot seven and weighs about 115 pounds. She has blue eyes. Her hair is dyed black. She has braces on her teeth, a nose piercing, and tattoos on her waist in the middle of her left hand. The girl's family said Harper doesn't know anyone in Colorado. So um, what's interesting to me, first of all, is that she went missing on January 30th, but the 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 most recent or the the quickest news story that came out wasn't until February 9th, even though she was a 15 year old. Now you should also know that she actually went missing last year. Uh, I think that she's actually from the long beach area. She went missing in long beach, like back in July or August, I think of 2023. You should also know that her checked bag did make it to California. So she was flying from the east, I think the eastern United States, stop over in Denver, and she never got back on the plane. So she's like, like what do you call it, connecting flight? She never got back on the next plane to fly to, to California. But her bag did make it to California. And you should also know that it seems Harper had – been uh, struggling with some mental health problems. You know, having been, (laughs) you would think that an airport would be the last 
place that you would want to try to disappear because, of course, we know all of the security and all the the video cameras and everything else. Um, what's noteworthy to me about the Denver airport, in contrast to, i just give you a contrast, like the Tampa airport. The Tampa airport is right there in Tampa. You could walk from uh you know the Tampa airport and not a long it wouldn't take you very long you'd be in downtown Tampa no problem whereas the Pittsburgh airport for example is well outside the city whereas the Las Vegas airport is right in the middle of Las Vegas if you've ever seen a you know Google satellite view it's right in the center of the city now you could walk away from that airport and be you know at a hotel or whatever very very quickly Whereas the Denver airport, (laughs) it's out there. I mean, it's not like out in the middle of nowhere, but if she was planning on walking somewhere, um, good luck to her on that in in January in Denver in, in that weather. So I'm inclined to believe either that she really did get a ride. She went out and caught some Uber or something. Or she had connected with somebody who picked her up at the airport. I just, once again, what I remember, and Charlie, if you're still in here, you know the, the Denver airport really well. Um, you know, having been there three times over the past three years, it it always gives me the impression that it's kind of, it's well, well, well outside of Denver and any, you know, really populated area. <laughs> of course, when an airport goes up or something, you know, there's going to be businesses and things that start popping up. But it's not like she could have gotten out of Denver airport and walked to a nearby hotel unless it was the hotel. I think there probably is a hotel at the airport for Denver. But I got to believe that she got picked up or got a ride with somebody or an Uber or something like that. Um and unfortunately, with mental health problems, who knows what her plan was? You really, 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 really can't tell. I'm hoping that given that it was an airport, that they were able to save video from those areas where you can, um, you know, catch people leaving and for security reasons, see people are pulling up and all of that these these days. Um but I got to believe that she got a ride with someone to somewhere. The, of course, the problem is that here we are on the 12th. She's gone missing on the 30th. So it's been two weeks. And she hasn't been found yet. Even though they probably did catch, probably have found her on some video somewhere leaving the airport. Uh, Charlie, my nephew who lives in the Denver area is saying light rail goes to uh, Denver too. So it's possible, I guess, what Charlie is saying, it would have been possible for her to catch some sort of, uh, what do we call it, uh, shuttle like on a, like a train or something, subway or something like that, that would have taken her into downtown Denver. So maybe they need to look at that as well. Maybe that, if she was looking to get away, maybe that would have been the best choice of all of them. I'm guessing that probably would have been the cheapest too. But when a person has mental health problems, then, you know, as we know, then anything uh, is possible. I just don't think that she walked away from the airport is what I'm saying. Um, 
Carrie is saying uh, that she thinks uh, this uh, Harper knew somebody from the internet. They just haven't connected the dots yet. Very possible. Uh, Kathy is sent, uh, reminding me that it was Julie Wefflin and Deborah Swanson who is still missing all these years later. Thank you for looking that up, Kathy. Uh, all right. Let's see here what everybody's saying. Uh, Rockford's saying that airport is huge. Are we sure she left it? I wonder how hard it would be to hide out in there. You know, Rockford, that is something that uh, I've entertained that idea that um, I might entertain that idea for a little while, but for two weeks really challenges my imagination. It is a very complicated airport. Uh, riding that very weird shuttle system that they have from A to B to C and to D and everything. There are a lot of nooks and crannies in that airport. And uh, at least the way I remember back uh, when I was last there in December, if you remember it, they're doing some construction inside there. So I guess it's possible, Rockford, that she could have, of course, we know there's restaurants there and, and everything else. Uh, she could have maybe done that for a little while, but maybe t- two weeks. That that doesn't seem likely, but maybe for a day or two to throw everybody off, maybe. But it is a huge, you're right, it's a huge airport with a lot of nooks and craddies and construction and everything else. I could be open for that to that idea for maybe a day or two. All right, one other story that I wanted want to get to before uh, we wrap this all up tonight by me going over this Friday's episode. There's been a doctor who has been missing from Temple, Texas for five years. Um, the story of Dr. Joshua Hull, H-U-L-L, is getting more attention on social media more than five years after his disappearance. The now 42-year-old doctor worked at Baylor, Scott, and White and AFC Urgent Care in Temple. On October 22, 2018, Dr. Hall was first reported missing by his mother. After not hearing from him for some time, she went to his home and was told that he had moved out three months prior. So here we are in October. She finally, something's not right. And she goes, and there's some roommate or somebody who's there who told her that, yeah, uh, he moved out three months ago, so like in the summer of 2018. And she also found out that it was around that time that the, the doctor had quit his job and not told her. So then on November 26, 2018, his car was found thousands of miles away at the Portland, Oregon airport. So we have another airport story. Hidden and abandoned. That's weird. It was found at the Oregon airport, but it was hidden. I wonder how you hide a a car at an airport. Um, Then they spoke to one of Dr. Hall's patients. He was very gentle, nice gentleman, and he was very thorough about examining me. According to Temple Police, the department has received many leads over the years, but none have resulted in him being found. The department says uh, Dr. Hall's case is one of six active missing persons investigations that started in the last 10 years. Even when it's... An acquaintance or someone you barely know, it's scary, uh, the patient said. Um, And so they just, this woman who just knew him as a patient uh, really can't add anything. Anyone with information on Dr. Hall's whereabouts is encouraged to reach out to the Temple Police Department. So to put this in a timeline, he quit 
being a doctor in July of 2018. And at the same time, he moved out of this apartment that he was living in with somebody else. Seemingly nobody realized he was missing until October when his mother realized it. But then his car was not found in Portland, Oregon until the almost, you know, the end of November. So what we don't know is, at least according to the stories I've, I've, went, I've gone to Web Sleuths and other places trying to gather more information, there's no information that's public about how long that car was parked at the airport. Now, what it means, like I said in the article, what it means by hidden, what, what does that mean? It's, it's parked at the airport, so it must have been in a parking garage or something. How do you hide a car in a parking garage? I don't know. So why did it take that long? Of course, some people, you know, if he, of course, we have to remember he disappeared from Texas. This is, this is Portland, Oregon, Oregon. <laughs> and um, it very well could be that security at the airport was just thinking somebody uh, – is just racking up a um, you know a big parking bill, or was this car abandoned? We just it would really help us to understand this disappearance a lot better if we knew how long that car was there. What if we found out the car had been there since beginning of August? That would be a lot different than if we were to find out that the car wasn't parked there until like November. And I also wonder about, is it a coincidence that the mother goes to the police and says, hey, I think my son is missing. And then the car is discovered in Oregon at the airport a month later. Just hard for me to tell looking at the information that is public at this time. Could not find about anything... Uh, did any kids? Was he straight? Was he gay? I, I don't know about any of that. I don't. It does seem weird to me. I will tell you that. Uh, of course. Uh, what's it say here? Hold on a second. So he would have been thirty-seven when he went missing. I, I just have to ask you. Uh, uh, he's a thirty-seven-year-old doctor, and he's living in an apartment with a roommate. That sounds kind of weird. No, um, you know, and I realize maybe we as uh, civilians kind of overestimate uh, how much doctors make, and it's a very stressful job, and, uh, you know, we know that they make more money than teachers, but also doctors have a lot more of expenses and things than a lot of professions do. You know, and they're required, you know, doctors are required to be members of all the, the right clubs and they're, you know, sometimes for social status, they're required to drive certain cars on and on and on. And that can get expensive if you've, um, you know, read any books about how to become wealthy and um, things like that. You, you make more money. Well, you know, you start spending a lot more money, too. But it does seem weird to me that he's a 37-year-old doctor and he was living in an apartment with a roommate. So, no, no, there's no, I couldn't find any information about it, whether he had any depression, 
any mental health issues. He'd been taught just nothing, nothing, nothing like that. It seems that the person the mother talked to and just doesn't say whether the person said, you know, that Joshua was having, you know, issues and stress problems, nothing like that. Maybe he was, but it's still not out in the public sphere five years later. That also would help us understand this disappearance better. So are we to think, what are we thinking here? I mean, of course, what makes the most sense is he really did drive to Portland maybe as a way to um, disguise his car. But this is once again goes back to, is this really, is that what you would do? Okay, say that you do want to disappear for whatever reason and you want to fly somewhere. I think the worst choice is parking your car at the airport, no matter how far away that airport is. If it were me, of course, this is what I do, and we have a chance to think about these things. If I have a car, I'm just going to park it in a Walmart parking lot and get a taxi or Uber to take me to the airport if I want to fly somewhere. I think what I'm also saying here is that I'm not inclined to believe that Joshua Hall flew anywhere, but I think that he was really trying to convince people that he did. Because nobody who was going to fly would want, who was getting away from his life, would want people to know that. So why park your car at the airport? If you really want to fly, you park your car somewhere else. I think, of course, you could do reverse psychology on that. Now, as far as checking any manifests, it might work. I'm sure that all the airlines flying out of Portland around that time, Joshua Hall, not as rare a name as Ed Denzel, surely. But you probably really narrow it down pretty, pretty, pretty quickly if they wanted to check manifests of people flying out of the airport. If they wanted to go through all that trouble, of course, you know, police are really going to do that. <laughs> uh, but I have to tell you, I'm not convinced that he flew out of Portland. I think this was uh, – it feels to me like this is a uh, a misdirection play. He dropped his car off at the airport but then caught a taxi somewhere else, and maybe he went and – rented a car and drove to another city just to throw everybody else off because I mean, what are we talking about? He didn't tell his mother who was going anywhere. Didn't tell any people he quit his job. That sounds pretty fine, you know, finite to me. So just wanted to let you all, uh, once again, this is a disappearance. You have to remember this is five years now. Uh, Dr. Joshua Hall, H U L L who went missing, during the summer of 2018, so he's been missing for about five and a half years now. So just wanted to let all of you uh, know about that. All right, Carrie's getting out of here. Um, uh, Rockford says, agreed that the hideout wouldn't last that long unless she got herself stuck or something. Yeah, yeah. we're going to get into a Brian Schaefer situation, Rockford, where somebody gets stuck in the building, as some people thought. Uh, Shree says, there's a doctor missing uh, from her area from July 2017. Maybe you want to send me some information on that, Sheree. Good night, Carrie. Uh, hello, RGB. Uh, hey, Ed. What's going on? Uh, Charlotte says, this sounds like the case of Dr. John Forsyth that disappeared from the Ozarks. Not familiar with that. 
Uh, 105 degrees in Australia. Happy to be listening to you. 105. Um, yeah, it is. I guess it is still winter or still summer there. Uh, but great to have an Australian. I know we have Hazel from New Zealand. When we have RGB, good to see you uh, from Australia. Hope you're having a great uh, day down there. Thank you for making some time tonight. Uh, of course, we're just about done. Was he a resident or in attending? I, I don't know, Glenn, regarding uh, Joshua Hall. I don't know. Uh, depends on how long he's been a doctor. Education is long and some get a late start. That could be. All right, Rockford. Chuckles. Uh, hey, Ed, uh, would you consider an episode of Randy Leach missing since 1988 from Lidwood, Kansas? Yeah, if he's still missing, as long as it's a disappearance, you got information, email me, uh, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com especially helps if you know somebody in the family chuckles. So yeah, of course I would consider it. Absolutely. That's what I do. Um, Let's go to this Friday's episode. We're going to, like I said early on in the the episode tonight, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, right where Mary Jane Van Gilder Sebrin lived most uh, her years after she went missing. What what kind of coincidence is that? That's crazy. But we're going to cover the disappearance of Carl Pope. His uh, the guests are his sister Deborah and his mother Patricia. However, I did speak to his brother Robert as well although that was not recorded, but I will be passing along uh, some of what Robert had to say as well. Uh, Carl went missing from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, somewhere around September 27th of 2021, although that's not an exact date. Uh, Carl was uh, a guy, 49 years old. He could be violent, had some mental health issues. He had uh, some drug issues, but there's certainly a couple pieces of information regarding the owner of a storage unit that I think needs to be examined. In addition to what Carl's brother, Robert told me about his last conversation with Carl, where Carl said that he was at a woman's home and that he was going to be walking to the casino. This seems to have happened right around when he went missing. So all of that will be featured uh, in the episode um, I don't know if this disappearance is on the Charlie Project, but it is on NamUs. So it's Carl Pope, P-O-P-E, went missing from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, somewhere around September 27th, 2021. His sister Deborah and his mother Patricia are the actual audio guests, but I also got some good information from his brother Robert as well. So that is it. Uh, Chuckle says, you email me. Very good. Rockford, transmit the message. Uh, Talking Heads Life During uh, Wartime. It's a great tune. Hey, and I'm doing a psychology degree fourth year about to spend time in the Sydney Missing Persons Unit due to you inspiring me. Wow. I will get my full degree when I turn 50. Wow, spectacular for you, RGB. I'm glad I'm inspiring somebody out there. Thank you. Thank you for telling me. I'm very excited for you, RGB. Fantastic. Uh, Yeah, let me know. Continue to let me know how that's going, RGB. Uh, Thank you. But that's all I uh, got for tonight. Uh, what a show. Uh, it's kind of a landmark Unite Unfound Live show tonight due to the press conference today. And like I said, go watch it, Mysterious uh, West Virginia. You can watch the entire thing. And yes, as Shree is reminding everybody, keep your heads on swivels. 
Uh, Charlie, say hi to the kids uh, for me. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight.